tale, Rabbi. Judas, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss. Likely that there are very few people who have not heard of the show, This Is Us. But just in case you haven't, it is a unique show about three unique triplets. Um, it is also a unique show in that these triplets have good parents, two of them. And one's a mom and one's a dad. It's just kind of hard to find that anymore. But the wild thing is, is every week you, you get their story and it weaves back and forth. Sometimes they are as babies, sometimes as children, sometimes as, as students, sometimes as adults. It goes back and forth any given week. Um, the journey is heartwarming. Sometimes the journey is heartbreaking. You are pulled into the story. It is an emotional ride. We are just four weeks away from Easter. And over the next four weeks, um, we are going to walk through together the last hours of Jesus' life leading up to the cross. This journey at times will be heartwarming. At times it will be heartbreaking. And we are pulled into the story, but not just because it is an emotional ride. We are pulled into this story because this story is also our story. This is us. We're going to start in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 26, if you want to grab your Bible and go there. Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to start with a most remarkable um, story that leads us in. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Here's what the Bible tells us. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, it's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Not only can he heal you, he likes to hang out with you. And as we see in other places in Scripture, sometimes he will do a miracle in a person's life, and the next thing you know, he's at your house. And that is the case with Simon, who was a leper, now healed, and Jesus in his house with him. The woman who comes in, John's gospel tells us, she is none other than Mary. Now, not the Mary who is Jesus' mom, but the Mary as in Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. And she brings with her this perfume, 
We could, we could think of it like a, a family treasure. Sometimes something this valuable would be used for, for a dowry. Um, it was a sealed alabaster jar, which means you only open it by breaking it, which means you only open it once. It is unique. It is rare. It is valuable. Verse 8. When the disciples saw this... Everybody give me the next word. I gave you an easy one. <laughs> they. Okay? When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. What I want us to see, because this often happens when we, when we are in church long enough that we learn the stories, when we retell the stories, we often tell the story that it was Judas who said, what a waste. And we are told in Scripture that Judas did say it, but Matthew is very clear to tell us they all said it. All of them. Verse 10. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, I think it's really important to say what Jesus is not saying here. I don't think Jesus is saying you can't fix poverty, so don't even try. I've actually heard people get that from this passage. I don't think that's at all what Jesus is saying because Jesus was constantly helping those who were poor. We're going to see it even in his first sermon. He talks about the poor. He's not saying you can't fix poverty, so don't even try. He's saying that although you're going to help the poor, the poor are always going to be with you, but he's saying this is a unique moment. It is rare. It is valuable. Verse 12. When she poured the perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Big news. This is connected to my burial, Jesus says. Now, don't you know, even though he's tried to tell them along the way, this is one of those what moments? Connected to your burial, Jesus, we're just getting started here. And he says, look, clue, my burial is going to be talked about throughout the whole world. Now, we know it's because it wasn't just a burial. There's a resurrection coming on the other side. This is going to be talked about in the whole world. And wherever people are talking about my death and my resurrection, they're also going to tell this story. And here we are. Verse 14, then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus taken out. He was 
at times very clear that they would put on a show as leaders when their heart really was not right with God. And Jesus would call it what it is. And so they, they really didn't like it. He, he didn't keep all their rules. He, he didn't play like they wanted him to play. And so they wanted him taken out, but they could not arrest Jesus in public because he was so popular with the people. And apparently, as you read the story, apparently Jesus' hideouts were well hidden. Now, we know some of the places where he would stop and stay with people, but it also must be because there was a period of time where they wanted him, but it must have been that to some extent he had places he could go both for protection and to rest. Because when Jesus was with people, it was a constant barrage of people, and he just had to have places to rest. The religious leaders needed some help if they were going to get to Jesus. And this thing with the perfume, it was the breaking point for Judas. So if you wondered, like, why are we starting with this story? It's because the end really does start with this story. This is the breaking point for Judas. He goes to the chief priest, we are told. He wants to make a deal. They count out 30 pieces of silver and say, how about this? And Judas agrees. And the plan is formed. We're going to do a quick fast forward, although we don't even have to leave the chapter. We're just fast forwarding in the story. Jesus and the disciples have now found a private place to celebrate the Passover together. And Judas is now back with them. They are all together in the room. Verse 21. Same chapter. Verse 21. And while they were eating, he said, Jesus, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Check out the next word. They, they, they were very sad. And you say, well, of course they were all very sad. But watch where this goes. And they begin to say one after the other, surely you don't mean Judas, Lord. Is that what it says? No. It says they all begin to say, surely you don't mean me. Isn't that interesting? They all, they all begin to say, surely, Lord, you don't mean me. Now, see, I'm bringing this up because, I mean, I grew up in church. And so from the day one that I heard Jesus, or Judas, rather, I I had this, this image that starts to get built in my mind of what Judas must be like. I mean, I mean, everybody thinks he's probably the, the shady disciple, Right. He's he's the guy in the shadows. After after it gets dark, he slips out, smokes some weed, tells some off-color jokes, right? Cheers for Alabama. That was in my head my whole life, right? He's a dark man, right? He's a dark man. But it says, no, they all begin to question themselves. Is it me? Remember, Judas was even entrusted with the one who, who handled the finances in the group. Now, you don't, you, don't give, you don't give control of the finances to the guy that you think is the worst one of the bunch. 
verse 23. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Again, John tells the story that Jesus, Jesus dips the bread into the wine. He gives it to Judas. It's the same picture. It, it means the one who shares this with me, the one who shares this piece of bread with me, John describes it. The question is, I think for most of us, how does this not quickly become a scene where everybody turns on Judas, right? How does this not quickly turn into everybody get him kind of a moment? And, and really, if you read the story, it seems like, because everybody's asking the question. You imagine Jesus says this, and they're turning to one another, and they're going, Sur- surely it's not me. And they're saying to Jesus, surely it's not me. There seems to be a lot of conversation going on, and not everybody hears everything that's going on. Now, some of them heard it because they were able to clearly record it for us. But apparently, not everybody can hear everything, like verse, 30, verse 25, when it says, then Judas... The one who would betray him said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Now, again, they've all been asking this question. So for Judas to ask the question, they probably tuned it out. They think he's going to get the same answer that the rest of them have been getting. Surely it's not I, Lord. Surely it's not I. And Jesus answered, you have said so. I think probably, I mean, is it likely that Judas asked that question because even he is still trying to figure out, am I actually going to do this? Or is he asking the question simply because, (laughs) shocker, Jesus knows it. And he wants to know how much Jesus knows. As we begin to think about this today, I've got one big point and one big question. We'll start with the big point, and it is simply this. Judas represents all of us. This is us. Judas represents all of us. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this is an allegory story. Did Judas really exist? Absolutely. Did Judas really make a deal, 30 pieces of silver? Absolutely, he did. But I also want us to notice, we've already kind of highlighted it a couple of times, all the disciples had the same reaction to the perfume. They all did. They were all mad about it. And they all had the same reaction when Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. They all did. Not just Judas, but every single one of them. To betray, it means to hand over, but it also means to sell. It's what the word means. And so really, in a way, Jesus is saying, one of you will sell me out for a price. But he's also going to go on to say, but you all will sell out for a price. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 31, same chapter. Verse 31, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all. You will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
they all have a price at which they will walk away from Jesus. They all have a price at which they will run away from Jesus. Everybody's got a price. The story goes that Winston Churchill, quite a unique individual, Winston Churchill was trying to make a point about how England should never compromise with evil. And in the process, there was a certain reporter that told him he was an extremist, he was a warmonger, I mean, she's just kind of going after him. At which point, Churchill said, Ma'am, if a king offered you a hundred million pounds to sleep with him, would you do it? Now, just to put that in perspective, 100 million pounds would be about $140 million for us. 100 million pounds, would you sleep with him? She thought for a moment, 100 million pounds, $140 million. She said, yes. Then he asked, would you sleep with me for 50 pounds? She said, Mr. Churchill, I am not a prostitute. In which he replied, with all due respect, ma'am, we've already established what your identity is. I just want to know your price. <laughs> Woo! Now, I can, I can see Churchill doing something like that. This is probably made up. It's probably not even a true story, but it, but it is the point. A price is a price. And the question for Jesus' disciples was, what is your price? And it's the same question for every disciple of Jesus. What is your price? I mean, I get it, sure. We're all willing to follow Jesus when it's convenient. But at what point do you say, this is the price? at which I'm not following. This is the price at which you walk away. Maybe it's when you hide your commitment to follow Jesus when you are in front of your friends. So you come to church on Sunday, you sing the songs, you're encouraged by what Jesus has to say, but honestly, if we were to say to your friends today, hey, he's a Jesus follower, she's a Jesus follower, their response might be, really? I'm saying, that's your price. If you're afraid to tell them out of what they might think or do or say, then that's your price. It's, it's really convenient to follow Jesus until this costs you, and that is your price at which you walk away. Maybe God's told you to do something or go somewhere and you refuse. I mean, it could be as simple as a, a mission trip that he's told you to go on. It could be as, as difficult as to foster or, or, or adopt a child or something to help the poor. And you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's way too messy. Our life is just fine right now. I'm saying that's your price. That's your price. Jesus is saying this, and you're going, nope, that's far enough for me. Or maybe it's God's called one of your kids to do something 
or go somewhere that doesn't really sit well with you. God's calling them, and, and, and you've always told them, hey, this is what matters most, but, but now suddenly it's just the stuff of the Bible, and it's just what the people in the Bible did because you don't want them going anywhere, not that far, not that place. And so for you, following Jesus is awesome, and you even want your kids to follow him, but that's my price. Maybe he's convicted you of Something like your entertainment habits. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the fact that he's told you you should not be living with that boyfriend. You should not be living with that girlfriend. You should not be sleeping together. And that is the point at which you go, that's my price. Jesus, I'm glad you're here, but I'm not following. Maybe he's told you you work too much. You're neglecting your wife. You're neglecting your kids. I told you, you need to have a Sabbath. There needs to be a time to rest, and that's your price. You, you just refuse to do so. Maybe it's the fact that he's told you the value of generosity in your life, and you've read the scripture, and it talks about the first of your finances, and that, shoot, if you're a Jesus follower and been blessed with this, this much grace, then at least what the law used to require in a tenth of what you have should at least be a place that, that you would be generous, but that's your point at going, no, I'm following Jesus, but nobody's telling me what to do with my money. That's your price. Maybe it's committing to a church I mean, sometimes it's just like, I love, I love being right here, but no, I'm not going to join. Because getting involved means making a commitment, and, and I like the freedoms that come with being non-committal. Your commitment to Jesus stops at convenience. Or maybe it's getting baptized. Right? You've, you've never taken the step. You say that you trust in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, even though he's over and over again in Scripture, he's saying this is the first step that you take, but you've never done it. Or you had it done for you when you were small, but since then you have come to the place that you believe who Jesus is, and the Bible calls you that baptism is the step you take after you have personally made that decision with him, but, but you would say, no, I don't think so. Even though Jesus has said Well, that was a little painful, wasn't it? But the point is, that's your price. Where your commitment to Jesus stops and you sell him out. When Mark tells us the story in his gospel, um, he gives us an interesting detail. All right? When everybody's ready to bail, he gives us an interesting detail Let's jump to Mark chapter 14 for just a second, and then we'll be back. Mark chapter 14, verse 50. Then, check out the next word, everyone. Well, we got a pattern today, don't we? Everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Huh. Like, why did Mark put that in there? Well, I mean, just from kind of a common sense point, you kind of have to put it in there, don't you? I mean, I mean, if we were here today and, like, naked person ran through, later today when somebody asked you how was church, 
I don't care how good the songs were and how good the drama was, you'd be like, well, let me tell you, right? (laughs) You just kind of got to put it in there. I mean, but I think there's a bigger reason. When in the Bible have I read about another time that someone was naked running from God? Didn't have to go very far in the Bible. A garden, and Adam and Eve who sin, and they run. I'm saying... It's what we all do because it's a picture of humanity. We abandon the one who has never abandoned us. Judas represents all of us. That means me. That means you. And I understand, you didn't do it exactly like Judas did, all right? You didn't. It it, it wasn't 30 pieces of silver for you, right? But it's also true that you and I weren't in Judas's place. I mean, can we at least say the same stuff is in our heart? You you ever hear, right, those stories of people who've made bad decisions and the consequences of their bad decisions unfold? Sometimes they even end up, you know, in prison. But then once you actually hear the person's story, you hear the pain, you hear the dysfunction, You hear sometimes even the abuse that was a part of their life. And there is something inside of you that says, if I had grown up in those exact circumstances, what decisions would I have made? Now, I'm not excusing crime. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, for me, And I think it's true for a lot of you. God has put so many blessings in my life that I had absolutely nothing to do with. Great parents. I had nothing to do with that. Great parents who loved me. Great parents who taught me about Jesus before I even understood words. Great parents who taught me God's word. They they gave me a, a beautiful example of character. I didn't do any of that. I I never faced extreme poverty. I never faced extreme discrimination. I didn't accomplish any of that. Yet even with all those blessings, I still sold out Jesus because I sinned against him. And there were moments in my life where he said one thing, and I said, that's my price. I'm doing mine. He said, do this, and I did that. He said, don't do this, and I did that. That was my price. A willingness to sell out Jesus for a price. My heart, just like Judas. That's why That's why you hear us say around here all the time is because the Bible says it clearly. Salvation, right? Us, us being right with God. It is not what we have earned. It is by grace through faith in Jesus. That's how it happens, right? This is not some picture of I am drowning, I am drowning, I am reaching. Oh, there's Jesus. I get a hold of Jesus and he rescues me. No, 
That is not the picture. The picture is me face down, no hope, drowned, gone, done. Jesus reaches in. He takes me out. He breathes life into me again. That's the picture. I did nothing of saving myself. He is the one who rescues. Being saved is not about how committed we were to Jesus. It's all about how committed Jesus has been to us. So the big point, Judas represents all of us. Big question. Okay, so why did Judas betray Jesus? Because if we find the answer to Judas' question, then we'll probably find the answer for us. I'm going to give you the really short, quick answer. You ready? Judas betrayed Jesus because Judas was disappointed with Jesus. He was disappointed with Jesus. Jesus was not meeting the expectations that Judas had of who the Messiah would to, was to be. I mean, he had always heard about this one who, who, would, who would come and rescue, and Judas has these expectations, and, and, and yet Jesus isn't meeting those at this point. Now, before we just gang up on Judas, let's remember that there was also a time in Scripture where Peter pushes back from Jesus. Anybody remember that? Jesus is talking, and, and Peter's like correcting him. And how about the moment when even John the Baptist, right? The forerunner. He's in prison and he comes to Jesus or he sends some people to Jesus and his question is, are you really the one? Because from where I'm standing, my expectations are a little off. This is not how I thought all this would look. Jesus, our expectations is that you would punish evil and that you would reward the righteous. So why have you not overthrown the Romans? And why is there still oppression? Why is there still injustice? We have seen this all the way through Jesus' story, even from his very first sermon. Jesus' very first sermon um, Luke chapter 4, it's recorded. This is, this is what Jesus says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They're like, yeah! Because this is us. We are the oppressed. We are the one who needs to be free. This, this is fantastic. So verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked, he's going to make a fine preacher. But Jesus kept talking. Verse 25, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. So he's going back to history. There were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. That wasn't even in Israel. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian wait a minute, 
not even an Israelite. In other words, Jesus starts giving a little history, and in the history, what becomes apparent is that God has always shown compassion, but sometimes the compassion was to the people on the outside, to the people who were considered enemies. Instead of punishing evil, insi- or evil outsiders and rewarding the good insiders, Jesus came preaching about grace to even outsiders And that made people mad. You see, when you think that being right with God means you follow the rules, and you think you're a good rule follower, then nothing makes you matter than when God rewards those who don't follow the rules as good as you. And that's what happens. So verse 28, here's how the sermon concludes. All the people in the synagogue were furious. I mean, this is, these are the same people who a few minutes ago were patting little, letting Jesus on the back, and he's going to be a great preacher. They were furious. When they heard this, they got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But I love next verse. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I want to see that replay in heaven, too. That's going to be cool. Like, I want to see that day, Jesus, when you just, like, walked right through them and they couldn't touch you. Which ought to remind us something about the cross. They only got to him. Because he got to them. Jesus' message is, it's all of us. Even at our very best, we all fall short. We all sin. We all need a Savior. Those who are the oppressors, they need forgiveness. They need a Savior. And those who are the oppressed, they need forgiveness and they need a Savior. I guess you really could say you understand there aren't any insiders. We are all outsiders who needed a Savior. Judas thought he was worthy. Mary knew that none of us are worthy. Judas wanted a Messiah who would would bestow power and riches and a good life for him. Mary understood that knowing Jesus was the good, good life. It's kind of understanding the difference between useful and beautiful. Useful and beautiful. Right? Um, in, in my car. It is a, you know, a, a tire iron, there is a jack, right? There, it, it, that's in my car. And you know why it's in there? It's because of what it can do for me in certain circumstances. It's, it's in there because I need it to work on my behalf to accomplish something. If that thing breaks, what do I do? I'm going to throw it out and I'm going to get one that works. That's what I'm going to do. Because it's just a tool to get something more that's useful. But my wife and my children and my family, I don't love them because I think they can bring me other things. And when we are broken, 
I don't throw them away. They are not tools to get me to something else. I love them because they are beautiful to me. Judas saw Jesus as useful. Jesus to Judas was a means to an end. It was to get things that he wanted. If I follow Jesus, if I serve Jesus, then he will give me power or he will give me money. He will give me comfort. He will give me success. He will give me health. He will give me heaven. It's still all about using Jesus to get to what I want. For Mary, it is not that Jesus is useful, it is that Jesus is beautiful. And to her, she understands Jesus is the end. It is him. Knowing him is the riches. It's not about using him to get to riches. It is about knowing him that gives you riches. And so she is willing to give anything and everything that she has to know more of him. How do you know if you're a Judas or a Mary? You know by how you respond when life disappoints you. That'll tell you. Because if you're the person who says, Jesus, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like where we are today. I don't like these circumstances. But, Jesus, if this gets me closer to you, or if it gets somebody else closer to you, then I will take it because I know that knowing you is a better prize than an easy life. I better say that again. Jesus, I know that knowing you is a better prize than an easy life. If that's what you say, then you are Mary. But if you say, Jesus, I don't like this, This is not the way it was supposed to work. Jesus, this is not the deal, right? I do my part, you do yours. I follow, I keep the commands. Jesus, I I pray. Jesus, I do this. You're not keeping your end of the deal. And if you don't, this is my price, then you are Judas. How you respond to suffering is the measure of your understanding and embrace of the gospel. Judas represents a religious approach. I serve God to get things from God, and I expect to be rewarded for my behavior. That's religious. I serve God to get things from God, and I expect to be rewarded for my behavior. Mary represents the gospel approach. I deserve nothing. But God has given me everything in Jesus, and he is the treasure worth losing everything else for. Can I tell you, both approaches have eternal consequences, both. For Mary, the consequence was, Matthew 26, he said in verse 13, Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I mean, it means when we leverage our lives for for a Jesus that we love, not using him to get something else we want, but we're willing to even lay down everything we have. 
When we do that, he says, you understand, that is eternal. That is something that is, that is never going to end. That, that is something beautiful that happens, done for him. It, it, is, it is going to last forever. But Judas, verse 24 was what Jesus said about him. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now, folks, the only way that I know that statement can be true is if Jesus meant Judas went to hell forever. That's the only way that could be true. In order for Jesus to say it, we'd be better for him if he had not been born. I mean, if when this life is over, there's just nothing, if we just cease to exist, it's over, then, then it, you wouldn't say it would be better for Judas not to be born. Because, come on, Judas was with Jesus for like three and a half years. I mean, he saw lots of cool stuff. He saw God himself, heard him speak. You've got to know that there were times that, that Judas celebrated some things. He saw miracles. I mean, if when this life is over, it's just over, then that would not be true, that it would have been better for Judas to never have been born. The only way it's better for Judas to never have been born is if Judas is apart from God in hell forever. I'm, I'm just saying to you today, I didn't make this stuff up. Heaven and hell are real. And how you respond when Jesus approaches you will determine where you spend forever. Even today, I'm telling you, if there's something in you today who has, you've begun to see who Jesus is, it's because Jesus has approached you. If today there is something stirring in your heart that goes, wait a minute, could he love me that way? That's Jesus approaching you. The, the truth is that he does love you that way. The truth is there really is a cross. And it wasn't based on anything you or I did. It was all about what he did. And the Bible says that when he approaches you, you can simply turn from your sin to Jesus believing. To believe in the Bible doesn't mean that just I believe Jesus lived. To believe in the Bible means I will entrust my life and all that comes with it I give it to you that is belief and the Bible says that when you entrust your life to him he forgives and he will embrace you as a son or a daughter and you become a part of his family forever this is us. I'll leave you today with something that one of the old Puritan theologians said. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He said, what is most shocking about Mary's act that day of the perfume on Jesus' feet was that it was really totally useless. Totally useless. He said, you realize how totally useless that was to Jesus? He's Jesus. He's the son of God. He created the universe. All the riches are at his hand. He doesn't need 
It's useless. I mean, a bottle of perfume, right, broken over his, his head and feet. I mean, that, those, as beautiful as that probably smelled, it would go away within hours. He said, and for Mary, it was useless for her. It was useless in that she did not need to do that for God's favor. You know why? Because John tells us in the chapter before, she saw Jesus stand outside the tomb of her brother Lazarus, raised him from the dead, and Jesus said some things to them that day about how he loved them and how he was committed to them and how they would be with him forever. She did not need to break the jar of perfume over his body in order to earn his favor she already had it there was just one purpose for what happened that day and it was simply to declare her love for Jesus it was to declare his greatness it was to say Jesus you are worthy you are worthy of 100 billion bottles of perfume if I had it because Jesus you are beautiful to me God, as we start this journey, it really doesn't take us long to truly see. This is us. And yes, we are reading about real people. God, Mary, who is real, Judas, who is real. God, they they were real, and, and those things really did happen, but God, we quickly are are drawn into this story because this, this is us. God, Judas has a heart that is just like our heart in the sense that every single one of us in this room today, at one point, we had a, a price at which we would sell you out. God, every single one of us, we have sinned against you. There have been moments we heard your voice and we ignored. God, we all need forgiveness. And God, the reason sometimes that we do what we do is because our expectations haven't been met. But I am grateful, God, that you love us so much. Our expectations are so underrated for the actual blessing and life that you want to bring to us. God, sometimes we're, we're asking you for stuff that's so temporary. That's what we get mad about. God, we, we get frustrated when you don't give us what we want in this immediate moment. And all the while, you got something so amazing that is eternal. God, today I pray that as you give us eyes that can see, God, that today we would be a people who turn to you and believe. God, I pray for those who may be here today who have never, ever taken that step. God, today as you speak to their heart, would you simply give them faith? God, to trust you today. From our sin to you. Forgive us. For when we have treated you like the tool in the trunk of our car. 
And may you give us eyes that can truly see. You are beautiful. You are beautiful to us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.